Welcome to the Need More Buffs podcast, the unofficial Light Seekers podcast sponsored by DeliveryCrab.com. DeliveryCrab.com, your number one source for Light Seekers cards and three points of healing. Welcome back, Seekers, to episode 56 of Need More Buffs. I'm your host, Matt Sonnenberg. Lately, it seems like just about every day I'm seeing a new announcement for a new tournament whether it be at some local store or online or whatever the case may be. And that's great. I love seeing that everybody wants to compete. Everybody wants to get out there and play light seekers. And that's no different right here at delivery crap. Not only do we have our two physical tournaments coming up in on February 23rd and March 23rd, but we just announced that we are also starting our online circuit as well. This is a very exciting time for us, and there's a lot of details to go over, so I'm not going to do that all here, but be sure to check out the show notes at deliverycrab.com slash 056. That's deliverycrab.com slash 056, and I'll have either all the details right there or at least links to all the details that you need for these online events. In any case, on today's show, I have not only one, but two tournament winners joining me. The reason I brought them on together is because, well, they played the same deck. So not only do we have the original deck's creator on the show, Nuon, who you may remember from previous episodes, but we have Derek, who just one week removed from Nuon's win, played the same deck and was able to achieve the same result. So I hope you'll join me in welcoming back Nuon and welcoming Derek to the show for the very first time. And tonight, we have a little bit of a treat for you. I am doing something I... Well, actually, I have done this before, but it's actually not quite the same. The only other time I've had two people on the show with me is, I think, when it was a couple, when I had Mandy and Nick Bova on way back in, like, episode 6 or 11 or something, long, long time ago. But we're doing it again now and for a very different reason. So please join me in welcoming both Derek and Nuwan to the show. Hey. Derek, how's hey. it going tonight? Pretty good. Not too bad. That's good to hear. For those of you who listened before, you actually, Derek is, is going to be new to everybody. But we also have with us Nuwan bringing him back. He was just on a few weeks ago. I should have looked up the episode number. I apologize. I didn't do that. But... I will definitely have that in the show notes for you if you want to go back and listen to Nuon's first appearance. But Nuon, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How's everything going? <laughs> not too bad. Derek and I are not a couple, but I hear he's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and likewise. Thank you. That, and that's the best part is you two haven't even met yet. No. And th- th- nope. This is this is one of the great things that I get to do with my job and traveling to all these different events. And I get to meet all the different players and... So it's it's kind of a unique situation we have here, but that's exactly why I wanted to bring you both on, because as I was telling you beforehand, this is the first time that I can remember that I've seen something like this happen within the Lightseekers community. Um, so for, for anyone that isn't completely sure what I'm talking about, a few weeks ago, Nuon created a deck list that we're going to discuss in this episode. He won the gold tournament at TPK in Chicago. And then just one week later at the Delivery Crab Tournament in Indiana, I saw the exact same deck list and 
not only was it the exact same deck list, but it finished in the exact same position. The only difference was that deck list was being piloted by Derek and not Nuon. So I wanted to get both of them on here to see what's going on with this deck, what makes it so good, and how you guys both made it to the top. Derek, since you're new to the show, why don't you kind of start off and give us your gaming history? Where did you start playing games? What did you play? And and how did you ultimately find out about Lightseekers? My gaming history goes actually probably 15 years ago. I started playing Magic the Gathering. I was just a real casual player, didn't didn't play heavily or anything, um, just kitchen table. One of my friends drug me out to a pre-release and kind of got addicted and hooked. I played very competitive for about 10 years. I actually made it as far as the Pro Tour, uh, played on there for a season. Nice. Um, and it was it was actually really fun. I got to meet a lot of people, still friends with a lot of those people from those days. And then I married my wife and had some kids and kind of slowed down from that. <laughs> um, my local game store had a demo day from Timothy, and, and I kind of just wandered in there halfway through the day, and they kind of just started showing it, and I was really hooked with the buff. Like, it wasn't creatures attacking. It wasn't, you know, things like that. It was buffs that were sitting in play that were rotating, and it was just a complete different strategic level of the game that I had loved, Magic. And there was no real, I'm going to steal things from your hands and that type of element. You actually had to think two or three turns ahead, and it was very, very more in depth I felt than what magic was because of, you know, is that buff going to rotate? How much extra damage can you get out of a putrid shaman and what he has in hand? And it's much, I, I don't know. It just, it really intrigued me. And that's kind of where I got into light seekers. I actually started playing right before Gen Con last year. So not even a full year yet. Awesome. That intrigues me to hear you describe that like that, because I found that most people's first impressions of the game are that it is not that deep, and there's there's not a lot to it, because a lot of the demo decks they use sometimes are just kind of, you know, damage, 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 heal, 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 to get you the very basics of the game, like this is how a turn works, but... So I don't know if it's just your your background in magic that you started analyzing it further or if you if you had a better demo or it was just the decks you were playing with or what the case was but I'm very glad that you kind of picked up on that early on. The That's demo something... decks were just the the tech and storm okay. um but the the part of it that I saw was the store owner and his son were playing and he was playing a Sicario Dread deck. <laughs> and once I was finished playing, I kind of just stepped over there and watched. Mm-hmm. And he flooded the board, and there was like 10 buffs on the board. And it was this was rotating, and this was rotating, and this was doing this. And I'm just like, for the other person to keep up with what's going on, that depth <laughs> is where it's at. Like yeah. That is something that you have to think. Like You're not just going to be 
like the demo, damage, 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 when you have all this stuff in play, that's where it really started to intrigue me. And that's that depth that you were talking about. Um, and I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that in those demos. But I understand you have to start on the, the lower side to get them into it. Yeah, and it really depends on the audience, and that and that's what it comes down to is because the demoers, I mean, I will admit myself even, will stay away from the Dread and Astral decks unless they know that you come from a heavy TCG background and, and can handle that level of connectivity and stuff. Because what Lightseekers is really good at is getting people who have never played a TCG before into TCGs. And so just giving them the basics that the tech and storm can offer very easily, that, that's, that's why they start them off with those decks. That's why those, those, uh, orders are included in the intro pack. But the dread deck by nature just does not play that way. And so starting them off with something like that can get very confusing very quickly if you don't know, if you're not used to following stuff like that. Oh yeah. So. I a hundred percent agree with that. Wonderful. Now, Nuon, if you want to take over for a little bit and give us an idea of what this deck is all about, what it was built to do. Yeah, sure. Grand Architect Halvar, for those who are unfamiliar with his effect, um, he has he's a cross-order com- uh, hero, so he has access to tech, superiority, and explosives, and then he also has access to astral, um, basic access to lunar and to gravity. And his effect is every time you play a gravity card to a max of six gravity cards, they get stored under Halvar. And then once you store six gravity cards, all of your explosive combos hit for an additional three damage. So I knew very early on, like prior to, I think even a gold tournament being announced that Mm -hmm. I wanted to run this, this hero just because has a lot of different versatility. There's a lot of things that you can do with it. Um, I actually had a really, really interesting build prior to them announcing the classic format. And then that sort of just went out the window because they couldn't play it anymore. So <laughs> it just that happened for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, I just I tweaked and I tweaked just because I, I was already so like mentally invested in this deck that I wanted to play it. Um, and then when the gold tournament started coming around, I, I booked the trip to Chicago, and then I just I ran with it. So the deck in general, the core of the deck is really just to draw and hit as fast as possible before your opponent can have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. So you can see that really in the combo. So Overwhelming Blast, which was the, at least in my version, we can find out uh, about how Derek did while he was piloting it, but... I won so many games with Overwhelming Blast just going for lethal that it, it's definitely like the best card in this deck. But uh, in order to pay for that or, or potentially use it, I, I also included Blast Sequence, um, just a combo that hits for a good amount of damage on uh, across all of the corners. And if you happen to get Halvar's effect off, um, it does deal a good amount of damage. The way that this deck is constructed, and I think it's it was the the biggest difference from all of the other Halvar decks that I've seen on the app, um, it's not meant to trigger Halvar's effect. And I think, actually, I know for the entire tournament, I didn't even get close to triggering Halvar's effect. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's just meant to to go and then and then just do what it does, just deal damage. Yeah, and I, I think that's something people are... It's kind of become a stumbling block for a lot of people when 
when building with these cross-order heroes is mm-hmm. if they try to build around the ability rather yeah. than just building around the elements. Yeah. And I think that's what you found out here is like using these elements and the specific superiorities and such can really give you a lot of options that weren't necessarily there before. And I think that that's, that's actually one of the biggest strengths of the crossover heroes mm-hmm. is getting to mix those elements. And it's not just about their ability. Oh yeah. It was, it was kind of interesting because in all of my, my play testing, I, I felt that I was able to get Halvor's effect off more often. So I was just sort of in the back of my head, I was prepared like, Hey, uh, there's a chance that I'm going to hit overwhelming glass for 14 damage instead of for 11. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't work out that way. And I, I did have a decent, I, I think, at least side deck prepared to to have a lot of answers to the different sorts of decks that I would play. But I, a lot of the, a lot of the matchups that we had in Chicago, I think there were five rounds and then the, the semifinals and the finals, so seven altogether. Halvar would win like turn four, or turn five. So I didn't, I didn't get a good, good feel for what was in my opponent's deck. So a lot of the times I didn't side deck at all. Just because I didn't, I didn't really know what was the best way to side deck against only seeing a handful of cards in my opponent's decks. That's fair. That's fair. All right, now Derek, with nuance description in mind, did you just kind of take the deck list and play around with it yourself, or did you get to see nuance play with it at all, or how, how did that go? Did you just? I, I think there was a video of him describing it, right? Did you see there, that video? There was, and I did see that video. Um, so prior to Nuance deck being posted, I had actually had a deck like this on the app because I pulled him randomly as a Mythics from a pack. And I was just kind of messing around, building him, and he was actually my campaign deck um, okay. because it could hit fast, it could hit hard, and I mean, the order, the colors, everything was just, it was all what you needed to go fast. Usually with those campaigns, you want to deal as much damage as fast as possible before they get their stuff going. Um, And I did not actually get to see him play any of it um, because Tetra didn't get to actually stream it very well. Um, Not because he couldn't, but it wasn't thought of at the time or anything. Um, But when the deck list came out and I watched, I realized I was like seven to ten cards from the deck that I had been playing to his deck. And I was like, I own all of these cards, and I've been playing this for a while. I just kind of naturally made the swap, because prior to that, I had a Zyle deck. Um, it's actually the one that Tetra played. We kind of toyed around with that, and I had been working with one of my other friends with that deck, and that was what I was going to play until I saw Nuon's deck. And after his deck was posted, I just went into full cram mode like I used to with Magic, and I was putting in six to probably eight hours a day of just cramming games when I had time between breaks at work, lunch at work, or just when I was at home, I would be goldfishing, you know, playing against deck that I had already proxied in front of me. So, all right. Yeah, it definitely put in the work, it sounds like. So yeah. I'm glad it paid off for you. I'll, I'll kind of throw this out to both of you, whoever wants to jump on it first. But I know, Nuan, you mentioned that a lot of times something as simple as overwhelming blast 
could be lethal for you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's without, uh, Halvar's ability being activated. Is that something that you would specifically save for lethal if, even if you got in your hand early? Or did it just happen that way that it came around at the right time? I definitely say like even if I drew it first first turn of the game, I would save it until I was at least at least had them underneath fifteen. Just because if they're at that range and I hit and I hit for eleven, even if they heal, um, even if they heal a good amount, I can still probably get past them at the ne- during the next turn. Mm-hmm. So it's I guess it's just sort of my play style. It'll vary. I've seen people on the uh, on the app even using this exact deck play overwhelming blast <laughs> turn one. It's sort of interesting, like watching other people play this deck and always give them a little smile when I see it happen. But um, I tend to run it at the end of the game. Go ahead. That was kind of my my whole thing. I, I would definitely try to save it for my closer. Um, I would shoot for between twelve and fifteen um, because. The, the heal in this classic format is not as bursty because of Confused Shaman being a one-of. So healing 12 is much, much harder. Um, and usually you can deal upwards of 10 to 12 damage with this pretty easy. So if you can get them within that range, being able to burst them down even if they heal next turn is, is quite easy. And I, I agree with Nuon. I've seen so many people playing mirror matches or just goofing around online, and they'll just throw an overwhelming blast at the beginning. And, I mean, usually they're putting two cards, or even if they're only putting one combo back, they basically took their burst potential out at that point. I think my one caveat during that tournament was that I, I ran into a situation where very early in the game, uh, bombling down. And I was able to hit overwhelming blast for seventeen. <laughs> that so, that just, happened to me and mine. Yeah. I <laughs> I actually got to do that through a wall of bones, and that was the kill. I had just activated Halvar, mm-hmm. and my kill was because I had overwhelming blast and bombling, and they both went, and the three extra damage from Halvar got through the wall of bones to finish him off. That's awesome. That's fantastic, yeah. And that leads into my next question for you, Derek. Like, uh, Nuon mentioned not only was, was he finishing a lot of games by like turn four or five, but didn't ever really get Halvar's effect into the game. So it sounds like you got it at least once. Was that a regular thing? Did your games tend to go a little bit longer? Yeah. Did, did you purposely drag them out just to get Halvar's effect? Or did you, were you trying to push it as quickly as possible too? No, I was I was very much trying to push it as quickly as possible. Halvar's effect only happened that one time. Um I did get very close when I was playing uh I cannot remember his name, but his his name was Dan, um, who was playing the Cinder Branch deck, I believe it was. When I was playing against him, I got very close in that matchup, which had I went to Getting six, it would have been over because I did have overwhelming blast in hand. Um, but it was, it was very rare. Most of the games did last longer because the decks that I were playing were super heal decks. Like what was the Arc Moss and, <laughs> yep. um, there was a Zile deck. Both of those were like majorly healing and reducing damage. So, but I was as, as much as I could, as much damage as I could, as fast as I could. So it, it was about turn 
turn five that was the kill usually. Awesome. Awesome. Good to know. I know the main deck is exactly the same, but I believe I talked to you at during the tournament, Derek, and you mentioned that you did actually make one change to the side deck, and that's only really because Nuon only was running eight cards in his side deck, correct? Correct. And if I recall, you added the bombling, was it? Yep, it was one bombling. Did that ever pan out for you, that you needed that bombling? It actually did. I was playing against a good friend of mine, uh, a Rev the Roadie, and he was playing the Arkmoss deck, and I opened my opening hand of game two with uh, two bomblings, <laughs> and then two turns later, I drew the third bombling, and that bombling was actually the one that won me the game before he could get his full healing like in motion. Like sure. He had started to heal, but he could not keep up because that last six damage was enough to put me in kill range. So that, that bombling actually did come in major handy. Glad to hear it. So, Nuon, I have to ask, I don't want to throw you under the bus or anything, but mm-hmm. was there a reason that you were only running eight cards in the side deck? Probably just because a lot of this, the playtesting happened like at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I just <laughs> didn't realize. <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you had to fill out that ninth slot, I mean... Obviously, Bombling seems like a decent choice. Do you like that, or is there something else after playing with it so much now that you would put in there? I don't think I would put in another Bombling, just because on the on the off chance your draws aren't, aren't hitting, you may end up with a Bombling on the field that you're not going to be able to trigger right away if you don't have an attack card. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's more of a chance for them to remove the Bombling before you can actually get it off. I did notice that. After after game one, especially, people are very, very aware that that bombling is going to deal them a lot of damage. So with the, even before they'd want to heal their deck, they would try to remove that bombling. So having three seemed like it might have been overkill for me. I don't know what else I would add. Maybe another Umbran Barkeep, actually, because I, I tend to use those a lot. <laughs> that really, is that effective for you? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I, I noticed that a lot of tech decks that um, that run, and it could be different for Derek depending on how he pilots it, but I usually have about like four to five cards in my hand just because I'm waiting for big blows to do a do at a time that people can like out heal. So I, I find that Umbran Informant usually doesn't do much for me, and I that sort of just sort of is a dead card in my hand a lot, but I yeah. try to manipulate my hand so that I can always get an Umbran Barkeep off. And uh, the two draw, two heal is pretty fantastic. I would second that. Like, if I had to do it over again, I think Barkeep would be a excellent replacement for the Bombling. That one scenario was the only time that the third Bombling came in handy. But I, I usually would keep four or five cards in my hand. I would draw up and try to get nice burst damage, like Nuan was saying. And the Barkeep, the heal two, it doesn't seem like much, but the, it... It is a big deal. Two life, two cards. Like, that is a major trade-off. So I do have one more big question, I guess, and we'll give you a little bit of time to to think about this, see if you can come up with a scenario from each of you. But one of the big problems I always hear players talking about, especially newer players, is not only what to put in your side deck, but what to side out. 
And so I'm wondering, can you give me, I mean, you don't have to go game by game recap of what you put in and out, but can you think of one particular scenario maybe that stood out? Like you saw something in someone else's deck and you thought to yourself, wow, I really need to protect myself against that or attack against that. And so you put, maybe that's another question. How many cards do you side in between games? Like, do you remember any specific scenarios where yeah. what did you take take out and what did you put in and why? I felt like there were only two times that I needed to side in the tournament. Um, well, actually three times, but one of the decks that I played twice. Um, <laughs> Tetra, the the person that, that helped uh, stream my final match, he ran this high curator Aron deck. Mm-hmm. So knowing Dread, I just knew that I would have to go for some more buff removal. Because it's an aggro deck, I, I only had two Craze Bombers in the in the deck. I didn't feel like three were three was necessary and it might just clog up my hand. Mm-hmm. But against a deck like that, I sided in the third Crazed Bomber. Sure. Uh, definitely came in handy because in the finals I think I used all three in at least one of the, the games against Tetra. And the only card I sided out of the deck was Subjugator, just because a Dread deck isn't going to attack very much. Very well, yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And it's those little details that someone, like I said, who who might be new to the game, might be new to side decks, doesn't really pick up on right away, necessarily. So you're, you're going after, it's a Dread deck, they're playing lots of buffs, which usually means not a lot of attack cards. Mm-hmm. So you put in a card to remove more of their buffs and took out a card that isn't going to prevent them from doing anything. Exactly. I guess my, my one bit of advice for for anyone trying to pilot this deck or mm-hmm. trying to pilot a, a cross-order hero, I think the the obvious choice would be to, to side in a bunch of like unaligned cards that might do either bits of damage or bits of healing or maybe even bits of draw. Like I said, the Umbran Barkeep would have been an interesting choice for me, but... Uh, I think siding in without actually having like a good utility for it may mess with the balance of your deck. Like for instance, those crazy bombers can feed into any of my combos that I'm trying to play. And if I take out my explosive cards, then I might not be able to actually hit with an overwhelming blast. Uh, given that every time I have a, a damage card that's explosive, I'll just play it right away. So uh, I guess just siding in general is a little bit tricky. So I, I think just if you see a card that you're not using, you don't expect to be using in the following match, side it out and just put something in that works for you. Fair enough. Derek, you got any uh, situational advice? Well, when it comes to sideboarding in general, obviously my TCG background helps a lot. But one thing that I've always taught whenever I was helping other players and stuff was don't just sideboard in a bunch of stuff to dilute your deck down. Um you have a synergy, you have a specific goal that your deck is doing. Exactly. So the more stuff that you put in, the less your deck's going to do, the more watered down it's going to get, and then you're not going to accomplish that. So make sure that you're minimalizing what you're siding in, what you're siding out, and all the stuff that you are doing. I think I have to agree with uh, Nuon that the only cards that I really sideboarded in was Mary Bard and Craze Bomber. Whenever I was playing against, actually, the, the Zyle deck, which was just like High Curator, just with Zyle instead, I used Mary Bart. It actually was the trump card that won me the game because he had Wall of Bones and a Fallen Guardian out. And when I played the Mary Bard, 
it gave me a two-turn window of being able to hit him for 12 damage directly, and he couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, nothing. There was nothing that he could do. All of his tentacles and everything was turned off. He had no healing from his Abyss Weaver. Um, and then when I played against the Ark Moss deck, I sided those two in, and they were almost need. The Mary Bard was a needed answer because turning all of his stuff off and letting me deal the damage through and stopping him from healing was important. So, but yeah, when it comes to sideboarding, that's the biggest thing is if a card doesn't do anything in the matchup, like Nuance said, Subjugator in a matchup where they're not attacking, then you can reliably take it out for something that's going to help you. But don't just side in, you know, three or four cards just because you, you know, feel like you need it. Um, Sneaky Creeble is one of those that it's really good situational, but just because they played a Mountain Fort game one doesn't mean, oh, I need Sneaky Creeble so that I can get through that Mountain Fort because you might just outrun that Mountain Fort before they even play it. Mm-hmm. And then you you lose more damage because you took something else out. It's a very good point, yeah. If you have... Any last-minute advice? We've already given them some great advice for anyone trying to run this deck, I know. But let's jump back to you, Nuan. Do you, do you have any last bit of advice for anyone who might be looking to run something similar? I didn't get a chance to do it. I really wanted to just because it seemed really, really fun. But I sided in in my sideboard there's a reflector. Yeah. And um, what I what I, I like doing in the app, I, I actually main deck it in the app, is if I'm playing a very, very big buff-heavy deck, and I know I'm about to take 20, um, I'll have my Crystal Core down just because that's usually my go-to when I have a, a Blacksmith, but I'll put a Reflector down, and then I'll let them kill themselves. Um, it's just fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to slow down my deck, so I didn't put it in, even when I played a uh, buff-heavy deck like High Curator, but um, that is what it's in there for. <laughs> Other than that, just deal damage as much as you can. With the exception of Blast Bot, um, I, I specifically keep that in there in my hand for utility on the off chance that I'm going to run into a location buff that I don't like. Mountain Fort is a huge, a really, really good example because you don't want to waste all of your, your good attack cards and only hit for like three or only hit for two. You want to get rid of that as soon as possible. So that's what that Blast Bot in, is in there for. Scrap Works Bruiser is obviously a better card because it hits for six. Uh, so I only have one Blast Bot, but it's worth holding on to till like mid game if you can. Perfect. Derek, you got any last advice? Yeah, one one thing that I know came up a couple times. Don't be afraid to just draw cards. Don't think that just because you have four cards in hand and you've got two six damage spells, you have to play them. There was two games where I sat and played draw go for probably five, six, seven turns with the Arc Moss deck. And that was mainly because he had three different ways of healing out on the board, and there was no way that I was going to deal damage through them with him having an assassin in his hand to activate a defendability and gain five life and activate a hungry behemoth and gain three more life. There was no way that I was going to. So I just drew cards with him back and forth until I knew that I had 20-some, 30-some damage over three turns, four turns that he was not going to be able to answer. So don't think that just because you have two or three cards that deal damage, you have to play them and then try to draw back up and keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, You can amass four or five, 
seven, ten big bombs and just continue to unload left and right because at some point they're going to run out of healing and you're still going to have burn in your hand. So definitely keep that in mind that you can you can just play the draw game for a little bit. Perfect. All right. I, I think that that'll about wrap up the episode here. Nuan, thank you for coming on once again. Congratulations on your recent wins. Thank you. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, where's the best place for them to do that? I'm pretty active on Facebook, I think. So if you, anybody who, I know my last name's a little bit hard to spell. (laughs) (laughs) But if you see me on the Facebook group, on any of the the groups, you can just add me as a friend. I accept everybody. Feel free to message me. It'll probably be best if you want to like text me or something to ask me for my number in private. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But I usually give that out too, so I guess it's fine. All right. Uh, I'm not so active on Discord, but you can find me on that as well under Dark Catcher. Beautiful. Derek, how about you? Mainly through Facebook. Um, I've been more active on the Lightseekers Indiana page, but I've been trying to become more active on the actual Lightseekers main page. And if you friend me, I'm more than happy to accept you. But that's that's the main way. I do have Discord, but I'm so busy that I very rarely do I ever jump in there and talk or anything so yeah, it's completely yeah, understandable there's a lot going on there yeah. yeah just one i guess point to add on all of that so ever since the the halvar deck got posted i i probably get like eight to ten challenges on the app a day um, <laughs> and i don't mean to ignore a bunch of them so i'm sorry if if, if people think i'm doing that i just i i can't play all day makes sense yeah <laughs> well derek thank you for coming on congratulations on your win as well thank you for having me yep thank you for coming on uh and hopefully someday we can get both you back on and hope you guys keep playing light seekers we'll talk to you soon thank you thank you and that wraps up episode 56 if you haven't already now is a great time to head over the show notes found at deliverycrab.com slash zero five six and check out all that tournament information that we have for you not only the online series but the physical tournaments coming up be sure to sign up on all the accounts that you need to and i hope to see you there whether it be online or in person i can't wait that's all i have for now so until next week i got some more deliveries to make